Good morning, loves, and welcome to the Self-Healing Podcast, a podcast helping you thrive through your healing journey. I am Lue, and I'm your guide through this journey. Follow me on Instagram on L-L-A-L-A-L-O-E to get daily affirmations, meditations, DIYs, body positivity, and so much more. Today's episode will be all about PTSD. Yay. Here it's calling again, life falls through my face. Okay, so I think it's time to bring up the heavier subjects for a while. Is it fun? Nope. Is it necessary? Yeah. So I'm gonna rip off the band-aid. As mentioned in the bio of this podcast and in the first episode of the pre-podcast called Why I Am Doing This, I, as everyone else, has been through a lot. And to really connect with another person, we need to know these things about them. It's all about trust. I trust the people who knows what I've been through, as they have been through it themselves, or at least something similar. And I would like to be able to give that to you too. For me, this is really hard to talk about, and I bet that it is for you as well. In my healing journey, hearing about other people's experiences and traumas has been a really good help on the way, as it makes you understand that you are never quite as alone as you feel. In fact, you are never alone at all. Some trauma affects all of us. Two, or maybe a few of the episodes following this one, will be sort of a story time about how I got where I am today. This episode and the next one will be all about PTSD, and one after that will be all about trauma downloads. So, here we go. This episode will handle graphic content and the topic of a suicide attempt. If this topic is a trigger, take precaution and maybe listen with a friend, parent, partner, or whoever you feel comfortable with. Remember that you can skip this episode whenever you want or if you feel like things get too heated. If you need a hotline, links will be placed in the description of this episode. And for everyone struggling today, thank you for being with us. I love you. Take care of yourself. Here we go. When I was 15, my best friend tried to commit suicide and I found her. I think it was a Tuesday. She wasn't in school that day and she was often skipping school so that wasn't out of the ordinary. But this particular day I was concerned. Let's call my friend Anna for privacy reasons. I didn't message her this day though, as it felt like she needed space. A part of the story is that one of our friends in our class was home from school because his dad had committed suicide a couple of weeks before and I knew that Anna was really affected by this, so that made me more concerned. A mutual friend texted Anna though and she responded that she was fine, just tired. About 2pm we were at our 8th graders handicrafts lesson. In Sweden we have designated school time for learning how to work with metal or wood or how to work with fabric. I have no idea what it's called in English, but anyways, I was in front of my sewing machine making a dress and there was just this feeling in my body that something was off. 
I would like to say it was something in the back of my mind, but I could feel it in all of my body. Typical empath, huh? Anyways, I love these classes. In combination with the music and arts classes, but also science classes when we had a good teacher, was my favorite ones, so usually I would be feeling really good this hour of the week. But I had this really deep feeling that something was really wrong and I couldn't get what it was. It all started with the taste of blood in my mouth. Just blood. I went to the bathroom trying to find where I had bit myself and where the blood came from, but there was no blood. Went back to class, still this unsettling taste of blood and it really disturbed me. Especially in combination with feeling like something was up with Anna. I stayed in class for about half an hour and then it was all too much. I told my friends that I had to go and ask them to tell the teacher and this was kind of a big deal for me, as it was my first time ever skipping class. This was maybe at 2.40. I rushed to my locker to get my things and I'm out of school at 2.49. I saw the clock on the wall while almost falling down the front stairs as the handle of my bag got stuck in the stair railing. And the next thing I remember is that I am running through the forest area towards her building. I remember feeling like there was lactic acid in all of my body, not just my legs, but I powered through. I have no idea how though, as I was deep in eating disorders and had puked up all my lunch, as usual, with bulimia. Yay. So, where the strength came from to run all the way to her apartment is really unclear, but now, nine years later, when I know my body better, I honestly think it was pure instinct. I got to her apartment building at 3. So the walk that usually takes me 20 to 25 minutes while walking fast took me 10 minutes running slash stumbling there. That was also weird. I had been running to her place before, but never this fast. The clock on my mobile screen saying 3 was the last thing that I completely remember and this was the last thing I remembered for years to come about this day. The rest of the memories have been like a complete mess of a puzzle and I have had to put all of the pieces into place since then. The next thing that happens is that I run up her stairs and stop outside her door for a second to catch my breath. I can really feel the adrenaline pumping and I hear my heart pounding loudly in my ears. I ring the bell and wait. Nothing. I knock and wait. Nothing. And then I just open the door. My highly sensitive 15-year-old self was not one to just barge in, but in this moment I would have teared the door down if I needed to. I don't know how, but I knew. After opening the door, I walked straight through the apartment to a bigger bathroom. The one with the bathtub. I didn't even call out her name, go to her room or to the toilet she usually goes to to get to her. I went straight to the big one, without a doubt in my mind. And there was this thought all of the time that said, where is the blood? And when I threw the door open, there it was. All over the place. 
The first thing I noticed is the blood kind of sprayed on the mirror and I remember thinking, how did that get there? It looks almost like a bad horror movie and thinking that thought was great because the humor in it detached me just a little bit from the horrific situation I was in before seeing the rest. After seeing the blood sprayed on the mirror, I saw the blood stains on the sink and the floor. Light red. New, I noted. There was this trace of blood into the bathtub and there she was. The water had this weird green color it gets when you are taking a bath and get a nosebleed. Her hair was all still, so she had been laying there for a while. The next thing I notice is the blood pumping out of her wrists into the water. Have you ever seen a scene where Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes is zooming into something, gathering data about what happened at the crime scene? I saw such a scene with my current best friend when I was 17 and screamed out, That's what happened! That's exactly how I saw it! And yeah, that is exactly what happened. First I saw the blood around her wrists. Then my mind zoomed in as an objective on a camera. And when I got closer, I saw that the blood was coming from her wrists. Zoomed in again, like really close now, seeing the small swirls in the blood and realizing that it is pumping, meaning that she is alive. Should you take the bleeding person out of the water or will that make the bleeding heavier? I couldn't remember. So what happens when I understand that she is still alive is that I run to the neighbors banging on their doors screaming for help. No answer. I run up the stairs and bang on those doors too. A man with a white tank top comes and I say something like, she's in the bathtub, she's bleeding, I need help. And my tears are just streaming. I am straight up bawling. He immediately understands, grabs my shoulders and just lifts me out of the way, rushing down to her apartment and after him comes his wife, or maybe his mother, and she brushes my arm in an attempt to soothe me before rushing down the stairs too. I think that as she brushed my arm, she looked into my eyes and said in her language that everything was going to be okay. I'm not sure that's what she said, but that was at least the meaning I got from the conversation. But by now I am so disassociated that her eyes would take me years to remember. But anyways, she rushes down the stairs and after the man and woman comes their kids and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? They have kids! They're kids! They can see this! And while telling the story, I can now acknowledge that I was a kid too. Just a couple of years older, but that was the least of my concerns at the time. The next thing I remember is seeing the man in the white tank top that answered my call for help getting Anna out of the bathtub. And his wife or mother saying, put her back until the ambulance gets here, they will know what to do. And now another family has joined from the apartment next door, I think. I don't know if I called Anna's mother. I think I did, but I still can't recall. The most logical thing would be that someone asked me for her number and called her and that she wanted to speak to me to know what happened. I know that I spoke to her, so maybe that is what happened. 
The next thing I remember is seeing the ambulance crew carrying Anna's body out of the water and onto a stretcher while Anna's mother and I are sitting in their family couch wrapped in panic blankets. They're orange. And right there and then, I could feel this void growing in me. Like I am completely empty inside and everything around me, outside my body, is this loud screaming sound. Like having tinnitus but outside of your head. Like the stimuli of the world sounds like tinnitus. I know now that that is a trauma response that happens when something way too dramatic has happened. Your body and mind is completely overstimulated by the crisis and your body is going into this mix of all of the fight, flight or fawn responses. Often in combination with being too cold. The panic blankets are not only for your heart when it comes to stopping you from going into shock. Shocks have a lot of other symptoms too. Like this one that can be avoided with a bit of warmth. Among what happens is that your blood pressure will drastically drop while going into shock and the feeling of outer tinnitus is one of the symptoms that I gather happens then. As I have really low blood pressure, I guess I would have needed another blanket or two. The next thing I remember is that Anna's mother is thanking me and hugging me and we are crying together. She is also asking me to not tell anyone anything about this for Anna's sake. So I didn't. I went home, remembered that I took my bicycle this morning and went back to school to get it. We ate dinner, my parents and I, cotton potatoes. My parents were great at asking me how my day was growing up. They really kept track and made me feel like how my day was and how I was feeling was important. Today, nobody asked though, and I was relieved because I was colossally bad at lying, and to not tell anyone, lying was inevitable. None of the friends from school asked what happened either, so I didn't have to find any explanation. The weeks went on by. I was in music class. I still haven't found any great word for this, but you know how a whole school can be a music school. My school was a regular one, but my whole class was specialized in music. So anyways, we were having, or rather creating, this musical. And we were at rehearsal, and while being on stage, I just zoomed out into my own world where everything was this grey nothingness. All of the time, and it was really annoying. Now I know that that is a disassociation, and after an intense trauma, the risk of your body completely going into that fog, ending up developing split personality disorder, is like 30% or something. I can't remember specifically at the moment, but finding that out years later really gives me perspective on how much pressure my body and mind was under at that time, and nobody knew about it. Just for the whole picture's sake, my boyfriend and I broke up almost two weeks after Anna's suicide attempt. I was up every night between three and five, talking in the phone to my friend whose dad had committed suicide a month before, to just keep him safe through the night's worst hours where he was really haunted by his own suicidal thoughts and anxiety. And I was really deep in eating disorders. 
And then there was just the life of a teenager on top of it all. Like the drama in school, homework, fighting with your parents and such, you get it. One of our friends had cancer as well, so that didn't exactly make the situation better for my mental well-being. And it wasn't quite discovered yet, so I couldn't speak to anyone about it, but I knew. Sometimes I think people forget how awful it is being a teenager generally. Being an adult is definitely easier, at least as a highly sensitive person. Okay, so... I was in this constant state of being a void. It was like the silence was screaming constantly. I drew a lot of pictures of this during classes that I disassociated from, and now I know that feeling like your inside is hollow is a really common trauma response. And what was actually screaming was me, internally. Because of the weight of it all, the mental and physical pain of just about everything. And I had no one to talk to. And how do you speak about this as a 15-year-old? It's not easy. I also knew that if I would speak about it to my parents, then I would break. And I wouldn't be able to go back to school. The facade was the only thing that kept me going. I needed my grades to become a doctor. I needed to keep moving forward. I couldn't break now. I just had to keep moving. When Anna came back to school, nobody knew what happened and she completely ignored me. But her ignoring me was better than when she switched and was passive-aggressive because I couldn't explain to the people asking without exposing what happened. She was angry with me for saving her life because she wanted to die. During this time, I felt really, really alone. My best friend had not only tried to leave me here, even though half a year before this event we had made a ritual, sharing blood, declaring each other as sisters by now blood, and promising to never, ever leave each other here, no matter how badly we were feeling. And she tried to leave. She almost left me here. The school provided talks to the class by a therapist where we could ask our questions about suicide when my friend's dad died. And from that I knew that it wasn't most likely her choice trying to commit suicide. It was a state of panic in which the brain can only find one solution to stop the pain. And that is to remove themselves from the situation by committing suicide. So it helped knowing that. But I didn't just deal with the pain of her breaking the promise we made in our ritual that was so sacred to us, but also how mad she was at me for saving her life. And it was to an extent where I almost thought I did the wrong thing saving her, as she was feeling so sad all the time being alive. She once told me that she would rather have me tormented and blaming myself for her suicide, for every day for the rest of my life, than having me save her and keeping her here. During this time, my EDs got even worse, and I would have really needed my best friend's support in my breakup as well. 
Just hours after I found her, the PTSD symptoms slowly started creeping up on me. I was restless and exhausted at the same time. I had a lot of neurological symptoms like aching, tingling, stings and burning in the skin. I was feeling sick all the time. I couldn't keep up with conversations or my schoolwork. And I was shaking all of the time. It was at this time I started getting episodes where I faint when my blood pressure or blood sugar is too low for a long time. I am completely fine one second and the next everything is black and I am not there anymore and in a couple of seconds I will slowly regain my sight and when I use even the slightest amount of energy I faint again and so it goes. I still have this. I guess it's because of years of eating disorders but I honestly have no idea. If you know what it is, what it's called or why it happens, please do tell me. It would be great to know. DM me on L-L-A-L-A-L-O-E on Instagram anytime. But yeah, it's still a problem, but as long as I eat regularly, it works fine. I also had a lot of nightmares. Blood on the mirror, blood on the floor, her body in the water, waking up with my heart beating out of my chest. Blood on the mirror, blood on the floor, her body in the water. Blood on the mirror, blood on the floor, waking up with my heart beating out of my chest over and over again every night. When I counted the weird things that were happening all of a sudden since the suicide attempt, I got to like 15 or 20 symptoms. I kept track and lists of them because it felt like I needed to. Especially since I couldn't tell anyone and kind of felt like I was dying a little. I also had this thing that I told myself when I started to panic. I'm not going crazy. I'm not sick. My best friend just tried to commit suicide. I am not breaking. I am not weak for reacting. It was kind of my lifeline repeating this. I should have gone to therapy. I should have told my parents because I shouldn't have dealt with all of this alone. But I still to this day don't know if I would have made it through school if I told anyone. I don't think I would have. So the decision my 15 year old self had to make is still a decision I stand by. She did what she had to do to get me here. Anna's suicide attempt happened maybe May 5th or something, and when the autumn came, I was drifting into my first depression. Looking at it now, it is all pretty logical. Of course I did. Anna and I slowly became friends again. Not to the extent as before, of course, but she is still a close friend. While going into my first depression, someone, I don't remember who, because this is when my first blanks came around, saw that I needed to talk to someone. Between September and December, it is almost completely black. And I have almost no memories. I have now learned that that is also a trauma response. Anyways, the school's curator or counselor, or whatever to call it, taught me to breathe in square. See it as a square in the air. Move your hand up its wall while breathing in. Hold your breath while moving your hand vertically over its top 
Breathe out while moving your hand down its other wall. And hold your breath while moving your hand vertically through its bottom. To demonstrate. Or if you don't like holding your breath, try it like this. In, in, out, out. In, in, out, out. That one is not as good. But the purpose is to stop you from having an anxiety attack with these techniques. Breathing in square is the first and only self-help technique that I learned until last year, so that one I used a lot. Do you know what a HSP therapist is? It is most often a highly sensitive therapist that is educated in how to give therapy to other highly sensitives. I had been to some curators and counselors or whatever to call it and stuff like that and it was the same pattern every time. What are you saying? Have you been through all of that really? Are you sure? That is a lot for a young person. And the experience with the HSP therapist was more like, okay, yeah, this makes perfect sense. The pattern of how you got where you are today perfectly checks out. And that makes all the difference in the world. Not having to validate or over-explain to be understood is really a godsend while trying to understand and heal your own experiences. So for all the highly sensitives out there that have been treated as if they are lying about their experiences when trying to get therapy, the role you had in the stories makes perfect sense. Highly sensitives takes on all of their friends' problems, as well as all of their parents' and siblings' problems and so on. Yes, of course you were affected by your friend's mother being abusive and drinking too much, because you were the only one your friend told. Of course you were experiencing anxiety from seeing people being bullied when you couldn't help, because you were the one who truly saw what was going on. Of course you experienced the weight of the world on your shoulders, because when people needed someone to talk to, they called you, told you, unburdened themselves onto you. Being that person, being trusted like that, is a beautiful thing and a wonderful experience, but it is also breaking your back if you have no one to unburden yourself onto as well. You experiencing all kinds of mental health problems is completely valid, even if you weren't the bullied one or the abused one with an alcoholic mother, okay? Do you hear me? Your experience is valid. And even if you aren't highly sensitive or doesn't take on the role of the designated support system to everyone around you, your feelings and experiences are exactly as valid as anyone else's and if your therapist or anyone thinks that your experiences are over-exaggerated or that you can't experience the feelings that you are having in certain situations, change therapist. Because that therapist will clearly make more damage than they will do any good in your healing journey. You deserve having people around you that helps you move forward and understands you and validates your journey. 
Okay, so anyways, I went to a HSP therapist, something that I can really recommend. And I told her that after Anna tried to commit suicide, I remembered the whole event for a while and then I very fast started to blur it all out. To the extent that some days I think that it didn't even happen at all. By the time I was 16, a year after it happened, I could only on a daily basis remember the first parts of the events. Like a couple of seconds from each memory. Or only to when I got there. In that case, the last thing I would usually remember was being in her apartment building's hallway, seeing 3pm on the screen on my phone. So I most definitely know that I was there that day at 3 but after that, it was all blank. I told her that some days I completely remember every single detail and the order in which things happened. Some days I remember until seeing 3pm. Some days I only remember until I walked out of the sewing class. And here is the strangest part. Some days I feel like I have made this day up altogether. And to the last statement, my therapist told me, yeah, that is normally how it feels for people with PTSD. Thank you for listening to this episode. Part two will be aired in a week. Stay tuned and take care of yourselves. Bye!